Alright, ladies and gentlemen, uh, another episode, Tenants of Melbourne. Uh, Glenn, uh, I have Glenn from College uh, Collegiate Connections. Um, Glenn, would you like to say hello to our friends? Hello, everybody. I hope you're all well mm-hmm. in these uh, unusual times. Yes. Now, um, we had a convo uh, earlier with Sophie, and Sophie spoke very highly of you. Uh, so I reached out to you the next uh, the next day, and I thought, look, I don't even know what I'm going to be asking, but I'm just going to ask, where did this all come from, and how does this all work with all the college thing based on your experience? All right. Well, I've been doing this, oh, man, 20 years, I think, now. I think I was, when I first started, there might have been me and one other person doing it. Things were a bit different back then. So, I, I mean, I got into it. I'm Canadian. I've uh, lived here for a while now, but, you know, obviously back and forth over there. got a lot of friends that are that played college tennis and are coaches and were coaches. So it kind of, one thing led to another. I just started doing them a favor and got busy with it. And then, yeah, started doing it as a bit of a business on the side because I'm a full-time tennis coach as well. But, yeah, so that's how it kind of all, all started up all that long time ago. Okay, so... The requirement is the understanding of colleges and its coaches and the staff, or is it understanding uh, what this particular player would more suitable for a particular college, or even both? Well, I guess under I understand the system. I guess they know what the coaches are after in the majority of cases. So usually I make sure I contact the correct schools. I mean, I guess it's not my job to totally decide what level the, the, you know, the student athlete is, but I, I try to have a pretty good educated guess at it. Mm-hmm. And usually, usually I'll contact schools that I think are the level the, the student's at or slightly weaker or slightly higher. That way, it really doesn't come down to my, my opinion. It'll, it'll, you know, the right school, the right level of school will find the uh, student-athlete this way. So, what is, the, what is the most Australian college, <laughs> if that makes sense? <laughs> Saint Mary's? Few, I mean, there's been a few in the past that have seemed to have more Aussies at one time or the other. I mean, any any guy or girl from a English-speaking country is usually popular with schools. I mean, usually they tend to um, fit in with Americans. Um, usually it's a you know, similar culture sort of thing. I mean, I think I, in the past, I, you know, I might have had one school that had four or so Aussies at once. Mm-hmm. Um, there seems to be, seems to be some schools that seem to have Aussies all the time coming through over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, usually a lot of schools now we try to mix up who they have in the team so there's not too many teams that have, you know, all people from one nationality, so to speak, in their team. Okay. So, um, I, I, based on what I know about college, you got Div 1, Div 2, Div 3. What's the difference between Ivy League school and the re- uh, Ivy League college and to the rest of uh, colleges? Okay, first of all, though, there are more than just your NCAA D1, D2, and D3. Whoa. Yeah, there's also, there's probably all up, you know, give or take from any given year, there's probably looking at thousand schools with men's tennis.
tennis and thousand-ish schools with women's tennis, probably a few more with women than men, but that's roughly how many you're looking at. You know, some schools drop their programs from year to year, some gain new ones, but that's roughly it. So you basically got your NCAA 1, 2, and 3. You've also got NAIA. Mm-hmm. Um, also got National Junior College Athletic Association, and you got the California Community College Athletic Association. Wow. So there's, there's all those different ones. They all have slightly different levels of tennis. They all have different academic requirements that are, that are needed to get into them. But basically, an Ivy League school, um, they, they don't usually have athletic scholarships. So that's one different thing. They're, they're highly regarded academically. They have, they usually have financial aid scholarships. So they will, they will look at somebody's financial need and give you money based on that. Wow. That's usually how they work. So they don't do, they don't do athletic scholarships like the rest of the, the schools do in general. All right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, oh, how many of them? I think there's like seven or eight of them off the top of my head. I usually don't have many students go Ivy League. One, because of the money. Two, academically, you got to be. You have to be very high up academically. You have to apply to these schools really early, um, and not everybody's going to get accepted into them as well. So. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, um, since you said you've been around for you know twenty twenty or so years, now, mm-hmm. um, in your opinion or experience, what's life after college? Do they come back? And do they continue, or have you heard anything from them? Do you still have any connection with them, the players? I stay in touch with, in touch with some of them. Mm-hmm. Probably the majority of them will end up coming back. Um, some of them do stay over there, get jobs, you know, get married, mm-hmm. have a life, life over there. Um, most of them do finish, graduate one way or the other, but, you know, Majority of them would probably still end up coming back to Australia, but like I said, some some do stay over there. Stay in touch with some that are still over there. Ah, but, yeah. okay. mm. Right. So, um, why do you think it's getting more common these days? Kids around seventeen, sixteen, seventeen, is decided to go college instead of pro. I think it's smarter on their part, maybe, to be looking at it, too. I mean, life's pretty tough. I mean, in the end, you do need money to survive in life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, backing yourself and getting that college degree behind you gives you that little luxury. I mean, you can always go. You can always play the tour during, you know, during the summer break between school years. You know, once you're done, you've got your degree, you can go out and play, too. Go on the tour, see how you go. But bottom line is you got a degree behind you in case things don't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it isn't tough out there. I mean, I don't know what the exact number. I think, you know, top 200, are they making enough, you know, someone in the two, <laughs> two to six hundred, are they making enough money to survive? Who knows? I mean, I, I think that's the big thing. I think it all sounds glamorous, but 
you know, is it, you know, is it only the top 50, top 100 that are making a decent living out of tennis? That's the big thing, I guess. As of today, oh no, yesterday, yeah. um, Roger Federer just uh, uh, become the highest paid athlete uh, yeah. by tennis. And, and uh, for those yeah, who yeah. don't know, it's, yes, it's $100 million or, or a little bit more, but... Yeah. I actually look into it. The endorsement or the sponsor deal was crazy. So let's say, for example, Ronaldo would make, say, $90 million. Half of it is yeah. from sponsorship. Half of it is yeah. from contract. But for Roger, yeah. he's, his winning prize money was something like $7 million. Guys, just $7 million. But his sponsorship was like $94 million or, or something like that. So the ratio is crazy. So, yes, as you said, you know, tennis can be a little glamorous, but... The percentage of that, come on, it's um, we're talking very, very just it, it, even Novak, Novak not even getting twenty, thirty million dollars a year from from exactly. So I mean, Rogers obviously made all of, all, practically all of it out of endorsement to the rather rather than what he won. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a guy this year that I've sent over to the U.S. <laughs> he tried playing on the you know the smaller tour events, you know, Mexico, South America, Africa. And just became too much. Didn't didn't make money. He was probably in debt from from traveling and staying at hotels, et cetera, et cetera. And he ended up going to the U.S. to go to college because you know he wants an education. And mm-hmm. the tennis you know, wasn't wasn't you know he gave it a go, but it, it wasn't doing anything. I mean, mm-hmm. wasn't making money in the end. So right. Okay, now let's talk about um, something uh, a little bit more um, in real life. Now, um, I'm very cautious about this, is that uh, I have encountered several players who gone to college and come back after, what, six months, one year? Yeah. And simply yeah. because um, culturally uh, or, or value-wise, it doesn't, doesn't align or what, whatever, or even contracts didn't, didn't look, uh, didn't look um, as, as clear as, as it sounds. Uh, prior, prior to uh, sure. for the end, you know, before yeah. they go to college. So, was there any? So, I'm sure there are a lot of listeners out there who, who wanted to go college. But what are the things they should be careful of? Whether it's paperwork, whether it's question to ask, were there some of the cases that you experienced? Well, I mean, you're right. It has happened. Not everybody's suited, you know, to go over there and stay there. I mean. Unless you try it, you're not going to know. So I guess if it's something you want to do, then you're better to do it than not do it. But it's not, it's not that, you know, for everybody, it's not going to be the same. I mean, you know, you could be from the country in Victoria and go to university in the city of Melbourne, for example, and it may, you may get homesick. It just find that it's not the right thing for you. And that's what happens when people go overseas in the U.S. Same thing. They, spend their six, the four and a half months or they they spend a year and then maybe they're homesick. Maybe it's just not what they wanted. Uh, typically it comes down to the money. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they didn't, they didn't get, well, they, they didn't live up to the expectations of the coach sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so when that scholarship came to be renewed, it, it possibly wasn't, or it wasn't for as much money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so economically, it, it doesn't work for a lot of them. There, I mean, there are a lot of them that then, you know, might not have a good experience at one school, but are able to transfer and go to another one, and it does work out. But you know, some 
some kids just it's just not the right thing for them. But I guess they gave it a go and found out. Are, are you saying there could be things that turns really ugly when it comes down to whether it's numbers game or um, or even just like you know uh, maybe the coach and the player doesn't look eye you know eye to eye, so they have to switch. And there could be some sort of management or even legal issues may be involved. Okay, here's how here's how it works typically. Mm-hmm. All right, somebody goes to school. The school year starts, you know, mid to late August. Goes to Christmas, which is one semester, and then starts again for another four and a half month semester from January to roughly May. All right, that contract they sign at the start of the year, which is called a letter of intent. Is for one year. So usually in April, your coach will call you into the office, call everybody in, and, you know, you basically have a little talk, see how things are going. Typically, most coach ethically will keep you on that, that scholarship, right? But there are cases, and maybe it's becoming a little more common now, unfortunately, that they'll call you in and they won't be renewing your scholarship or they they will renew it but at a lesser amount. Now, to me, they made a mistake in that they brought you in knowing ranking, knowing everything, and yet they want they they want in a sense to get out of it by either not giving you one or lessening it. Now the thing is for a men's team, say a division one men's team, right? And this is where it gets tricky. They only got four and a half scholarships to get their full team of, say, eight guys, right? Mm-hmm. And so if they if they make a mistake on a player thinking he, he might play number four for them and he ends up being like a seven or eight, and they've given him a bit of money, then then that's where things like that happen. Oh. They, they, they realize they made a mistake. They... Obviously, know that this guy isn't going to help them, so they're or girl, and they're trying to get out of it by not renewing that scholarship. Mm. Or maybe, maybe that person they've clashed. Maybe they just haven't got that chemistry between them, and the coach thinks that player has a bad attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe the player. Has or hasn't got a bad attitude, but isn't getting along with a coach. Just doesn't see eye to eye, and and things happen. So I guess there's avenues for the player to leave if they wanted to leave, and obviously there's avenues for the coach to have the player leave in some cases. So it's, I guess it's important to really research the school, um, try to get a, a good feeling for what the coach is like by talking to them verbally, mm-hmm. but. Nothing's, nothing's ever going to be totally, um, you know, totally foolproof. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can talk to somebody and they can, you know, they can put put a bit of a good spin on anything and, and fool fool you into thinking things are good. And then you get there and maybe the coach wasn't quite the same as they were when you talked to them. But mm-hmm. all you can do is your research, and then you know. You just hope it does work out in the end. But there are, like I said, avenues to transfer, and people have done that and and been fine at their second school. So, mm-hmm. 
Now, what if、uh, a player is like, say, top ten ITF juniors and you know Div One? They're、uh, going. Yeah, they're going to be able to go Div One to a high level major yeah. Yeah. school. And and what if like you going in, you know, after one match or a couple of trainings, and you know it's full scholarship, and all of a sudden the player, you know, got injured, for example, during training.、Um, does the college assist with、uh, the medical bills and and recovery and things like that? You're injured on court at the school. The school will cover all those injury costs. Now, all international students must have international health insurance as well, and that covers any excess that isn't covered by the school, and also covers for instances of you know you go off with friends for a weekend and you get sick and have to go to a hospital in America. You need you need insurance for sure. So. So between the school and this international health insurance that you have to have, it, it will all work itself out, cover-wise. Right. Okay. I've had people, I've had student athletes get injured over there, and <clears throat> between the two insurances, I'm pretty sure everything worked out in the end. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, what are the, some of the interesting questions that、um, you get from? Say players or parents approaching you says, you know, what are some of the common questions? Because I feel like this this is going to be very very、um, valuable for a lot of、uh, local players from Melbourne who is, you know, assessing and or ready、yeah. to go college and yeah. I mean, I guess the normal questions are、uh, in terms of what they have to do. You know, what 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 are the academic requirements of each each of the athletic associations.、Um, You know all about the level of tennis.、Uh, how, how do scholarships work over there? What do they cover?、Um, I mean, those are the general ones. Safety things sometimes too.、Um, so you've got those main ones really that are the ones that come up all the time early on in the conversation.、Mm. Costs are obviously an important thing, which usually comes up early on when someone wants to know about it. You know what sort of what the cost going to be?、Um, I explain to them. I explain to them usually all the costs you're going to have and and how the costing work. You know, in terms of what a player might get scholarship wise and and what that then covers. I mean, usually that's a huge huge one. Right. Okay. Okay. So.、Um, do you travel to the states、uh, very often to update your? I guess your 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 knowledge.、Um, I'm over. I go back home to Canada every year or two, so、mm-hmm. usually I stop stop in、um, to catch up with some school or another.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, but usually I'm in touch with friends of mine and coaches、mm-hmm. practically every day. So you you keep pretty knowledgeable with whatever is going on. But usually I get to one or two schools. Every year or two, right? How many, how many Australian、uh, coaches are there currently working in NCAA, say Div One? Aussie coaches? Yeah, Aussie coaches. I honestly could not tell you off the top of my head. I, I know there is a few,、mm-hmm. oh. um, but I couldn't tell you for sure. Okay, right. Yeah, I mean, coaches. It's hard to keep track of all the coaches. Coaches come and go, switch from school to school. But there, there are, there have been a, 
several over the last few years that I've come across. Mm-hmm. But, you know, off the top of my head, I wouldn't know which ones are at any school now. Okay. I, I know Austin Pay's got a Aussie coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, off the top of my head, I'd have to really think hard as to which ones have the Aussie guys there at the moment. Okay, okay. Right, so, yeah, it's a... Uh been pretty insight and uh, um, so basically your service is a player come a player or parents uh, reach out to you and uh, you have a chat with them and you recommend certain universities or coaches and they do all the groundwork or you do the groundwork? No, no. Basically how it works, say, say you're a parent, you contact me, I'll just have a free conversation with you, tell you much as you want to know, really. Mm-hmm. And then you, you decide you want my services. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll then ha- assist the person in setting up a resume. Mm-hmm. I'll give a template for it, what I want in it exactly, detailed, uh, what I want with videos. Once all that's compiled, I'll prepare a list of schools, partly based on what I think the level of the player is. And if there's anything in particular that they want to study, I'll, I'll research which school might have that that area if it's something a little a little different, and and I'll do a list of schools. I usually, you know, I think that list this year would have been like 400 schools for um, for the guys, and you know maybe 500 or more for the girls. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll email all those schools until I hear back from practically all of them, and then then I then I. Let the student know which schools are looking, what they're looking for, tennis level-wise, what they got to offer, and then I try to get the student athlete in touch with the coaches. Mm-hmm. So, right. It's been pretty successful. So there's a lot of a lot of emailing, a lot of phoning the coaches, a lot of talking. Now, um, I, I actually sometimes, like a lot of players, when they tell me, they go, oh, um, when you agree, but they can agree verbally, Legally speaking, is that is that means you're you're confirmed or is it just verbal? Nah, verbal commitment. For example, I'll start looking. Anybody going in say August twenty twenty one, I'll start looking in September for schools for them. Right. Mm-hmm. So say we find a school quickly for someone in September. They and the coach is interested. The player and the coach can verbally commit. Mm-hmm. So it's no legal binding thing. I think ethically. You know, it's probably not the thing to jump shit when you verbally commit, but technically both parties could. Yep. Um, I think the early signing dates then not till November, but once you've officially signed a piece of paper, it's all good. Oh, okay. But verbal commitment is, yeah, I mean, it is a commitment verbally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't had anyone make a verbal commitment and had the coach pull out of them on them at this stage from what I can remember mm-hmm. and like because I don't like players making verbal commitments and then pulling out mm-hmm. so you want to be probably sure before making a verbal commitment to a school that that's the one you want to go to mm-hmm. but it but it technically is an illegal binding thing I, I don't want to sound too dodgy but um, are there ch- cases where as you said this verbal commit, uh, commitment and other college poach the certain player before he or she signed the paper? I mean, technically, you could commit verbally to a school, and obviously, while the... So you 
usually how it works is you're not in touch with one school. You probably should be in touch with numerous schools and finding who's interested in you and hopefully having more than one to choose from. But say one of them makes you that verbal commitment, I dare say at that time there's probably still been several other schools that were interested in and probably in touch with you. I mean, if one of them turns around a week later and makes you a better offer, I guess technically you could <laughs> pull out of your verbal commitment to the prior school. Right. Wow. I mean, it may not, may not get you a good reputation, mm-hmm. but, I mean, legally, the verbal isn't binding, but it is an ethical thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. All right. Well, um... Okay, so uh, for those uh, who are interested in going to college, I will leave Glenn's uh, details uh, um, in in this uh, convo. Um, last but not least, um, do you have any things that you want to say to the players or parents who who are currently, say, age 15, 16? Um, what are the, some of the things that you sh- they should be prepared? Like, is it you're 15, 16. If you're in even grade 9, grade 10... You need to make sure that you're doing the right subjects to be eligible. So knowing that you're getting the right academics sorted out early is important to make sure you have a chance to be academically eligible for all the associations. Right. That's, that's a big thing. People contact me in grade 12, and then we find out they weren't they're academically short a subject or something, and then it becomes a bit of a scramble to sort the scenario out so they will become eligible. So the earlier you get, get onto that and check it out, mm-hmm. the better. Um, the other thing, I guess, is making sure, and by asking someone like myself or whoever, you can find out athletically what sort of levels you need to be at to get what sort of scholarships, I guess. Oh, Okay. So, like over there now, mm-hmm. other than the academics, over there in the U.S. now, they, they're big into a thing called universal tennis rating. Yeah. All right? Yeah. Trying to get bigger here, but it's already become a real big deal the last two or three years over there. Before that, they never even used it. They used their eye to associate to. Um, look at players and or ITF ranking, ATP, et cetera, right? But now it's all about the UTR. So I guess it's really important to keep an eye on the UTR and get it up as high as possible. But there are different levels of UTRs that will get you more interest and more money. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, you spoke about ranking. Do you think ranking is the only bargaining power? ranking? Yep. I mean, there's some coaches out there, it's slowly starting to change where they're starting to see that there are, it's not the be-all and end-all with with rating a player, thank goodness, mm-hmm. but a lot, there's still a lot out there that's, you know, having that UTR is the be-all and end-all, but a lot of players I deal with haven't got as good a UTRs as they could have because they didn't play the tournaments to get UTR or they, you know, they couldn't play, travel to as many, or they took grade 12 off to study. So their UTRs are down a bit from what they should be. So some coaches will look at their 
videos, the results combined with the UTR and, and, and we'll look past that UTR maybe being a little low. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so yeah. are you saying there is still somewhat a skill set of negotiation and bargaining in order to make the deal? Yeah, there is to, to a little degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you're a different UT, if you're a higher UTR than me, and we both go to the same coach to you know to try to get into that school and get a good scholarship, he's more likely to give you more. But you know, I might have some better academics, and maybe that gets me some little extra money as well. Um, mm-hmm. There, you know, if a coach really wants you more than somebody else, he might be willing to may give you a little more money than his initial offer might have been. Mm-hmm. So there are little avenues to negotiate a little more, but it's, you know, usually what they got is what they got money-wise. I mean, they can sometimes change it a tiny bit, but mm-hmm. they got, like I said, they got that certain amount of scholarship money to find their team with. So they're trying to dis- distribute it as best possible and try, you know, trying to give more to the higher ranked guys than the lower ranked guys. So, mm-hmm. but there is a little negotiation sometimes. Does that include? Does, does that include coaches making expectation to go? All right, cool. You're, you're, you're very high profile um, uh, player. Um, I'm expecting you win eighty percent in your first year. There won't be usually any of that going on. Obviously, bring your high. UTR player, he brings you in to play one, two, or three, and he's going to give you maybe 80% scholarship. There's going to be big expectations that you do fairly well at that spot. He, I don't think there's going to be any 80% you know, ratio that he's going to give you. I mean, it is your first year. You're still a freshman. Um, I mean, if you're training hard, you're doing the right thing, and he thinks you're progressing all right, there usually shouldn't be any problems. Mm. But I haven't heard of anybody putting numbers on on it. I mean, that could well happen, but nothing that I've ever heard of. Right. Okay. Well, Glenn, you, it's it's been very very helpful for the listeners. No problem. Anytime, Tom. Yeah. Thank if you. If you guys uh, listen to this, uh, please, I will I will make sure I can get Glenn's details and Facebook and all the all the or even emails. Um, so any issues. Um, Contact Glenn, as uh, Sophie Toshello mentioned earlier. Uh, she speaks. She spoke highly of you. Uh, and if you got any questions, feel free to ask me, and I can pass on to Glenn. Uh, so, on behalf of Tennis of Melbourne, Glenn, I want to thank you for your time and your experience. And um, hopefully, um, tennis will get back uh, very soon. Let's hope. Thank you very much for your time, Tom. No worries. Take care, Glenn. You too. Bye. Right, bye.